everyone on a rainy windy day in Washington DC today is Monday April 13th 2020 this is Marla Spindell executive director with DC Kin Care Alliance and I'm here with my colleague Stephanie McClellan deputy director of DC Kin Care Alliance we wanted to give you some updates on what DC has been doing to address the COVID-19 pandemic so that everybody knows what resources they have and what rights they have during this very difficult time. It's been sort of a whirlwind since we last did the podcast. There's a lot that has happened, including new DC council legislation, uh, new mayor provisions and orders addressing agency operations, and also the court has adjusted its operations, so we have a lot to catch up on. I feel like these, I don't know if it's two or three weeks since our last podcast have just flown by. What do you think, Stephanie? Yeah, things have been really busy. The work that we have takes so much longer because everything has to be done remotely. Nothing happens the same way that it used to. Yeah, I agree. Plus all of the sort of emotional and just makes everything feel like it's 10 times harder just to do your daily work. It really does. I think everybody's struggling after so many weeks of this. I know. So hopefully this will give people some sense of control, which is one of the things I feel like we don't have a lot of these days. And by being able to understand what their rights and options are right now, and we'll certainly update either through the podcast or on our website all of this information. We do have a new page on our website called COVID-19 Resource Center, and we update that daily with new information relevant to residents of D.C., And we will also be putting a copy of these Q&As up on the resource page as well. And just to remind you, our website address is www.dckincare.org, and then you'll see the first click page is called the COVID-19 Resource Center. So we hope that's helpful to people. Stephanie, I think we'll just go ahead and jump right into the Q&As. I'll ask a question as a resident of D.C., and then you will try to provide the answer, and maybe we'll have some discussion about that. Does that sound good? Sounds good. I'm ready. All right, great. So the first area that we're looking at is housing. And the question I have is, I can't afford to pay my rent during the public health emergency. Are there any protections for me? Yes, there are. Your landlord cannot evict you or serve you with a summons during a public health emergency and cannot charge you late fees or increase your rent. 
Okay, great. So those are things that I think some of our constituents would find helpful to know. In fact, we were provided by one of our clients with a notice from their landlord that seemed to indicate that they potentially could get a summons during this period and some other things that were not necessarily consistent with the law that's now in place on this issue. That's right. The landlord was acting like they were doing her a favor by not charging late fees or not taking legal action when they actually don't have the right to do that now anyway. Yeah. So I don't know, you know, maybe this will be helpful to landlords too because maybe they don't know what the rules and the laws are at this time and hopefully providing them with information will make them adjust their practices accordingly. So going on to utilities, my question is, I can't afford to pay my utility bills. Can utility companies disconnect my services during the public health emergency? Well, the good news is your utilities cannot be turned off during a public health emergency or for 15 days afterwards. And your utilities include electricity, gas, water, cable, and phone. Your cable and your telephone service can be downgraded to the most basic level, but they cannot be turned off. And if you need help paying your water bill, you can go to dcwater.com, click on Resources, and then click on Customer Assistance Programs. Great. That's really helpful, Stephanie. And just to let people know, if you go to our COVID-19 Resource Center on the website, when we post these Q&As up there, there'll be an ability for you to just simply click on the resources that are in there, and it'll take you to a web page like the one that Stephanie just mentioned. So hopefully that will be helpful and convenient for people. So what about debt collection? My question is, I can't afford to pay my debt right now, like my car payment or credit card bill. Are there protections for me against debt collectors? Creditors and debt collectors cannot do the following things during the public health emergency and for 60 days afterwards. They can't threaten to file or file a lawsuit against you. They can't threaten to take or take your wages or property. They can't threaten to repossess or repossess your car threaten to visit or visit you at home or work, or confront you in a public place. For things other than real property, like your mortgage, debt collectors can't communicate with you about your debt during the public health emergency unless you communicate with them first. Well, that should be a relief to people that they don't have to deal with those annoying debt collectors during this time. We have enough to worry about already, right? Oh, that's so true. So regarding the federal stimulus money, how does it work and do I need to do anything to receive the money? Everyone who makes less than $75,000 a year and is not listed as a dependent on someone else's tax return will receive $1,200 from the federal government for themselves and $500 for each eligible dependent. Those who file a tax return or who receive Social Security will automatically get a payment. Otherwise, you should submit your information online at irs.gov, and they will use that information to calculate your eligibility and send you a payment. 
if you set up direct deposit, you'll get the money much faster than you do if the government has to send you a check. And if you go to irs.gov and click on Get Info on Economic Impact Payments, you'll be able to submit your information there. Great. That's really helpful. I'm sure people are wanting to get that money as soon as possible to help them to pay their bills, get food on the table, etc. So for worker protections, the question is, I lost my job or my work hours have been reduced. What help is there for me? Well, if you're unemployed, partially employed, or unable to work through no fault of your own, you can go to doef.dc.gov to apply online for unemployment benefits. Although traditionally unemployment insurance has been for employees, and you know you're an employee if you get a W-2, unemployment insurance has now been expanded to apply to independent contractors. You know you're an independent contractor if you get a 1099. It has also been expanded to include people who are self-employed, who are freelance, and who are gig workers. The work search and the waiting week requirements have been waived. And if you want more information about what your rights are, you can go to the Washington Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights and Urban Affairs website at washlaw.org. And just go to the right hand of the screen and click on the Know Your Rights icon. If you own a small business, are an independent contractor or are self-employed, you can go to sba.gov to apply for a Federal Paycheck Protection Program loan and also to get more information. Once you're at the sba.gov website, just click on COVID-19 Small Business Guidance and Loan Resources. That's really helpful, Stephanie. I guess the only downside is I've heard that the waiting time to receive unemployment benefits or to get a Paycheck Protection Program loan are really long at this time because so many people are applying. Unfortunately, even though these opportunities are there and unemployment insurance has been expanded, there's still a question about when you'll actually get the money in your pocket. That's true, but it's definitely worth applying. Definitely. Yeah, you should apply even if there's going to be a, a wait. You should apply as soon as possible. So another question is, I still have a job, but I'm worried about losing pay and or my job if I have to miss work because I'm sick, have to take care of someone in my family who's sick, or I'm quarantined. What protections are there for me? If your employer has between 50 and 499 employees and is not a healthcare provider, your employer must provide you with 80 hours of paid sick leave if you're a full-time employee. If you work part-time, then your employer must pay you sick leave equal to the number of hours you normally work in two weeks. Your employer cannot require more than 48-hour notice or more than reasonable notice in the event of an emergency. Your employer cannot require you to find your replacement or threaten retaliation, including verbal or written warnings. You have more rights to unpaid leave under D.C. and federal laws and again, for more information about your rights, go to washlaw.org and click on Know Your Rights. Great. Thanks, Stephanie. I guess it's interesting that for larger employers like Safeway or Giant or Walmart, they aren't 
required to provide this additional paid sick leave time. And you would think they would be the ones that could afford it more than the smaller employers. Yeah, they're not covered under this particular law. And neither are hospitals or other healthcare employers? That's right. Hmm, that's interesting. So let's look at businesses and shopping. So it seems like so many places are closed. What's still open? All non-essential businesses are closed. Businesses that are considered essential can remain open. Essential businesses include hospitals, clinics, dentists, and medical marijuana dispensaries, grocery stores, supermarkets, licensed farmers markets, food banks, convenience stores, and liquor stores, laundromats, dry cleaners, and laundry services, restaurants, but only for delivery or carryout, gas stations and auto repair shops, banks and credit unions, shipping and delivery services, taxis, car services, and ride-sharing services, housing and living facilities, including hotels, but not including conference facilities, and public works and utilities. If you're interested in a list of DC public school grocery pickup sites in your neighborhood, you can go to dcfoodproject.org and click on Emergency Food Access. Great. That's really helpful, Stephanie, so people can know what they can access and what they can't, and how to get food is really important. So for consumer protections, I think someone's trying to take advantage of the coronavirus by raising prices or selling fake products. Is that against the law? There are laws to protect the community from people trying to take advantage, especially in an emergency. Here are some examples of what someone can and can't do. It is okay for merchants to stop people from stockpiling so that everyone has enough. So when your supermarket only lets you buy one package of toilet paper, that is legal. It's not okay for merchants or anyone to price gouge. That means it's not legal to charge more money than usual for things that are popular or hard to get because of the emergency, like face masks or hand sanitizer. It's never okay for merchants or anyone else to violate fair trade practices, but the penalties are higher during a public health emergency. For example, it's not legal to make false claims about a product, like that it cures COVID-19 or that it kills coronavirus if it doesn't. And it's never okay to threaten or harass a consumer with anything other than action that is legal. If you feel like someone is taking advantage of the situation by raising prices improperly or selling fake products, you can always submit a consumer complaint at oag.dc.gov slash consumer hyphen protection. Scroll down and click on file a complaint. You know, I received a photo from a friend of mine. It was in another state, but I'm sure it could happen in D.C., where they had taken a picture of a piece of paper that had been stapled onto a tree that said, call this number for free and effective COVID-19 cures. And as we know, there are no cures right now. So that would be something where you might want to submit a complaint. You know, these are tough times, and that brings out heroes, but it also brings out the worst in some people. That's definitely true, unfortunately. So what about funeral protections? Unfortunately, as we know, people are dying from this virus. 
what if someone close to me dies and I have to make funeral arrangements for that person? How do I make sure the funeral home treats me fairly? Well, by May 15, 2020 at the latest, funeral homes will have to provide you with a customer bill of rights. They also have to deal honestly with third parties on your behalf, passing any savings from them onto you. And last, they'll have to give you price lists for things like caskets and outer burial containers. I think our advice is even before May 15th, it's okay to ask for price lists, and it's okay to ask if the funeral home is dealing with a third party, if they've been provided any benefits that should be passed on to you. Great. That's really helpful, Stephanie. What about court operations? You know, we're in court a lot advocating and filing pleadings on behalf of our relative caregiver clients. Can we still do that now? Well, BC Superior Court is still technically open, although the public can't access court buildings right now. The court is only conducting emergency hearings and criminal arraignments right now, and all pleadings have to be filed remotely online. If you go to dccourts.gov and click at the top of the page on the icon that says important messages about the coronavirus and then scroll down, you can see all the different orders and notices that the court has put out about the changes to court operations, and there are a lot of them. Wow. So if you're just a pro se litigant and you don't have a lawyer to represent you, somehow you have to figure out how to file your case online now? That's right, but there is help. Different courts have different numbers that you can call. Okay, so like the probate court and the family court each have their own number for people to get help with filing. That's right. I think our clients probably would have feelings with some of the divisions more than others. For example, the landlord-tenant branch can be reached at 202-879-4879. And what about for the family court? For the family court, there's help for you in filing. You can call the Self-Help Center at 202-879-0096. And the family court call center can be reached at 202-879-1212 if you have any questions. Great. And if you're a relative caregiver raising a child in D.C., and you need help, you can always call our legal helpline at 202-505-5803, and we can help you as well. And we can also help with online filings and assisting you with associated issues that come with doing everything online now. So are the emergency hearings and criminal arraignments being conducted remotely through some sort of technology as well, or do you have to go in for those? On the DC Court website, it says that there are four courtrooms that are operating right now out of the dozens that are normally operating. There's one to hear adult arraignment and presentments, one for family court emergencies, neglect and juvenile initial hearings, one for criminal and domestic violence emergencies, and one for civil probate and tax emergencies. Most of those hearings are going to be conducted remotely. 
And in fact, you were engaged in filing on behalf of a client and you represented that client in an emergency hearing that was conducted remotely, correct? That's right. The service that we used in that situation was called WebEx and it was an audio call and we were successful in being able to do the emergency hearing and being able to get the client the custody that she needed. And in that case, the clerk from the judge that was hearing the case reached out to us to give us the information of how to log into the WebEx emergency hearing, and the judge was conducting it as the judge would, but it was just done in that remote way. That's right. So what about the Department of Corrections? I've heard that some of the people that are incarcerated may be getting out sooner. During the public health emergency, the Department of Corrections has the option to award additional good time credits to inmates sentenced for misdemeanors for release right away. The Bureau of Prisons may award up to 54 days of good time credits per year retroactively for felonies committed before August 4th of the year 2000. And the Bureau of Prisons may also consider compassionate release for inmates who are old, sick, and for other reasons. Okay, great. Now, for youth and education, what happens to youth aging out of the foster care system during the public health emergency? A foster youth who turns 21 may choose to remain in the foster care system during the public health emergency and for 90 days afterwards. Great. I have a high school senior in my family. Will they graduate this year? Yes, if a high school senior has met all requirements except the minimum number of classroom and community service hours, they will still graduate. Perfect. Okay, so for public benefits, the question is, I get benefits like TANF, SNAP, and Medicaid, and my benefits are supposed to expire in April 2020. So do I have to recertify now during this public health emergency? No, you don't have to recertify. Your benefits will automatically continue. And I also heard that some SNAP customers may receive more money this month. That's right. If you're not receiving the maximum benefit, then you will get additional emergency funding for the month of April. And do I have to do anything to get that, or it will automatically be on my card? That should automatically be on your card. Great. And can I apply for TANF, SNAP, and Medicaid during the public health emergency? Yes, you can. You can either do that online or by printing out an application, completing it, and dropping it off at one of the DHS ESA service centers. If you need an application or if you need a list of the ESA service centers, you can go to dhs.dc.gov. So you can actually apply online now. That's something new. That is new and different and a great improvement. And is it at that same website? Yes, dhs.dc.gov. Great. Okay, so the question I have is, can I apply or recertify for the grandparent or relative caregiver program subsidy during the public health emergency? And if so, how does that work since normally I would have to come into the CFSA offices to do so? Sure. Well, the first thing is go to our website at dckincare.org and click on Subsidy Applications. 
and you can download either the close relative caregiver subsidy application or the grandparent caregiver application. You can complete it and then email it to cfsa.kinfirst at dc.gov. Or if you would like to submit it at the time you go in for fingerprinting, you can call 1-866-FAMKIN-1. Great. And I heard we have a big achievement that we wanted to tell everybody about with respect to these programs. That's right. There used to be a six-month waiting period before you could even apply for the grandparent caregiver subsidy or the close relative caregiver subsidy, and that has now been waived. Great. We'll plan to update these Q&As very often so that you'll have the most up-to-date information as it comes down the pike. So definitely check back on our website daily or as often as you like. And on the COVID-19 Resource Center, we'll have updated Q&As and other information posted there as it comes out. If anyone has other questions about other issues, what's a good place for people to go to just see what the mayor's doing right now to help individuals and families grappling with this crisis? Well, people can go to coronavirus.dc.gov or they can call the hotline for the coronavirus at 855-363-0333 or for Spanish language, 844-796-2797. Great. Yeah, I found that website to actually be pretty helpful with information about all the resources available in D.C. So I definitely would recommend people checking back on the mayor's website regarding the coronavirus and seeing what new services or other ways to access services are being provided. And just again, a reminder for relative caregivers, if you need help during this time with any of these matters, please call our legal helpline at 202-505-5803. And thank you so much for listening. We hope it was helpful. And we'll send you off with a special rendition of What the World Needs Now, produced, arranged, and edited by Conservatory at Berkeley student Shelby Rassler, joined by a virtual orchestra of 74 of her peers. And thank you to Berkeley for allowing us to use the recording in our podcast.